Why is Jesus the Isn't only the Bible one full of contradictions? What about those who never believe in Christ? Don't know the religion. Basically, why is the Bible so special? Are there answers to these questions? Are there questions? Good morning, everybody. It's good to have you with us today. I'm looking forward to spending some time together with you in Scripture. But before we get to that, um, something of importance, namely, any Cubs fans in the house? We continue to pray for you. We continue to pray for you. What about, are there any Cards fans in the house? There you go. Yeah, we're on the winning side. We all know that, yeah. So, the sad part about this uh, series, as much fun as it is, is that there's going to be some people disappointed in a few days. Just say, just say, okay. Not making any predictions, right? Particularly after last night's game. Cubby's guys, you guys did well last night, so congratulations to you once. One time. Okay, so um, I want to say, if you're new to our congregation, my name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team here, and we're very glad you're with us today, and very glad that we get to spend some time together. I want to start today, uh, you can see I've got some kids' stuff up here, and so I want to start with this book. Maybe some of you are familiar with this book. It's called Alexander and the Terrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. It's a fairly old book. It came out in, the 19, in 1972, is the copyright on it. Judith Viorst uh, was the author, illustrated by Ray Cruz. You're going to see some of the illustrations. I want to read just a little bit too, of it to you today uh, because Alexander had a, a really rough day one time. For example, he says, I went to sleep with gum in my mouth, and now there's gum in my hair. <sighs> and when I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard, and by mistake, I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running. I could tell... It was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. It went from bad to worse because at breakfast, Anthony found a Corvette Stingray car kit in his breakfast cereal box. Nick, another brother, he found a junior undercover agent code ring in his cereal box. I mean, those are great moments in a child's life. But my breakfast cereal, all I found was cereal, right? In the carpool, Mrs. Gibson let Becky have a seat by the window. Audrey and Elliot got seats by the window, too. And I said I was being scrunched. I said I was being smushed. I said, if I don't get a seat by the window, I'm going to be car sick. And no one even answered. I could tell. It was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And at school, huh? Mrs. Dickens, like Paul's picture of the sailboat. Do you see it there on the left? The sailboat picture on the left. She liked Paul's picture of the sailboat better than my picture. Do you see his picture up there? The invisible castle. At singing time, she said I sang too loud. At counting time, she said I left out 16. Who needs 16 anyways? I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And I could tell because Philip said I wasn't his best friend anymore. Oh, betrayed. He said that Philip Parker was his best friend and that Albert Moyo was his next best friend and that I was only his third best friend. I think I'll move to Australia. <laughs> now, what's with that? 
If you're a guest with us today, I was born and raised in Australia, and so to me, Australia is not the land where you go when you're being punished, but there you go. <laughs> I would suspect that some of you have lived a little bit of a day like this today, or maybe in the last week, or perhaps the last decade, um, and uh, you've gone, okay, if I was to write a biography, an autobiography of what my life has been like, then it would include these kinds of things. And you wonder, in the midst of when bad things happen, not just on one day, but maybe across the board, you wonder, how come this has happened to me? Why did this take place? I mean, you, go, you look around the world and you've got to go, man, there are people who are asking that with very legitimate issues and struggles that go beyond whether or not you get gum in your hair like Alexander did. Like, I, I've been watching the horrific and violently gruesome chaos that's being visited upon the people of Syria, particularly upon the Christians there. I debated whether or not I should bring some of those gruesome stories to your ears today. Uh, the stories of the martyrdom of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Countless Christians. Word is that 250 were martyred this week alone. I did come across the story that I'm not going to tell today because it's so horrid. But I would invite you to go and research it this afternoon. The story of a little 12-year-old boy, the son of a pastor, who died this week at the hands of ISIS as his as they said to his father, either recant Christ or your son will die. They literally tortured that little boy to death. I want to do a little, one wee bit of moralizing here and say, as Christians in this land where we get to live a fairly free and innocent life, comparatively speaking, let us never forget that there are people in other cultures and particularly in that setting who are living lives that are incredibly, incredibly difficult. And may I ask you to pray Pray with a newspaper or a tablet in one hand and the heart of God, if you will, in your other hand, saying, I'm going to pray about these matters and I'm not going to be ignorant, I'm not going to be naive as to what followers of Jesus Christ are facing in places around the world. Because certainly we ask questions and they have every right to ask the question, why is that sort of stuff going, and going on? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why is that? Or perhaps a better way to put it would be, why do bad things just seem to come randomly, or even why do good things come randomly? You know, good things come to us even though we don't deserve them, right? And so you, we're going to have a little uh, story of that right now. As a matter of fact, I want to take your, have you take your Bible, please. There's one in the pew rack there in front of you. And turn to Psalm 139, Psalm 139. And when I say good things are going to happen to somebody right now, uh, because we, uh, we, we put something in, a couple Bibles in the room today, uh, namely, we put in two $20 gift certificates to Mosaic Cafe. Oh, you all are going to open up those Bibles now. <laughs> They're in the, it's in the very back of the book. If you look, open up in the back of the book, somebody here today, a couple places, where are you? You got a gift certificate. Can I see? Take a look at all those Bibles there, okay? Who's had something really good happen to you? Anybody? Can you raise it? We're not going to point you out, but... All right, over there, congratulations, $20 to the cafe. You like that, right? Did you do anything to deserve that? Absolutely not. Is there somebody in the balcony that might have one up there? There you go, up there. Did you do anything to deserve that? No, you showed up at church and there it came your way. So when good things come our way and we don't deserve them, we go, okay, that's kind of cool. But when bad things come our way and we don't deserve them, we don't say that's very cool. We say, why, right? It's a legitimate question. And Scripture gives us some answers to that. I want you to read with me Psalm 139. The psalmist is really talking about this business of why. Why do bad things happen? 
Why do good things happen and what am I going to do about it? He says, you've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you've perceived my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. In other words, nothing that I do is unknown to you, and actually you're very uh, familiar with me, the directions and the places I go. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. In other words, behind me and in front of me, you're there. You're watching over me. You're going with me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too lofty for me to attain. I can't even take it all in. And so if I were to ask you a question, God, where could I go from your spirit? Is there a place where I could go and be far away from your presence? Could I go to the heavens in moments of celebration? You're there. If I make my bed in the depths, if, I'm, if, I'm, if it's really, really lousy, are you there? If I rise on the wings of the dawn, in other words, if I wake up and the life is, day is really sweet, if I settle on the far side of the sea like Australia, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even though life is so bad that I can't see light, even the darkness will not be, pardon me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. So with that in mind, let me see if I can tell you where we're going with this passage today. See, it's a passage about God's watch over you. It's a statement written some 3,000 years ago that maybe you have experienced in this room. You've discovered this, that God knows all your days. It says that God knows when we sit down, when we stand up. He knows what we think about, what we do. He knows us moment by moment. He knows us, if you will, in our moments of celebration and in our moments of great despair. God watches over us. He knows our needs. He does that, and he... He's there. But then we'd say, well, if that's the case, if he's there and life is really crummy right now, does that mean he's participating in the evil that is, that is visiting me or visiting other people on earth in the form of disaster or death or illness or just straight up pain? Reasonable questions. I have some reasonable responses for you today. We're uh, in this series called Room for Doubt. 24 churches are doing this across the city all at the same time. And more or less at the same time anyway, and we're building a set of arguments and propositions regarding our understanding of God and Jesus Christ and Scripture and the responsibilities that we have as followers of Jesus Christ and what should we do with that. And so in that regard, I want to thank you for such a tremendous response from our congregation regarding um, the WSOI food drive. Uh, When we started that endeavor many years ago, uh, I think the goal the first year was 35,000 pounds. We were quite thrilled with that. Our congregation has been involved now for many, many years, and we man the phones. All the phone, the phone number that's given out for people to donate is our phone number, and we had a bank. You know, we brought all the phones out of everybody offices, everybody's offices, and they were in the lobby. And do you know, friends, what we received this past week on Friday? One million two hundred seventy-one thousand pounds of food here in the city. Thank you for that. Thank you. It's really cool stuff. And I want to thank you for the way in which this church is leading the charge on that. Um, but even if we are involved in um, acts of kindness like that, still we have to say, but what about when life is not so kind? Why is it that a community has to raise those kind of resources 
Wouldn't it be better if everybody just had food? Why? Why do bad things happen? Last weekend, I had the privilege of conducting a wedding on Saturday night out in Arcola. Philip and Mandy Abernathy were married in a wonderful ceremony. Their family and friends gathered together in a blissful time of joy. And Leslie and I left um, the ceremony or left the reception just as it was beginning to turn dark. And it was cold. Uh, we were out in Arcola, Arcola at Rockholm Gardens. And as you know, that's way out in the country. A rain had just begun as we got in the car, that, that drizzle. And it was fo- the fog was rolling in out of the fields. And really was... As I, we got in the car, I thought, this is kind of dangerous driving right now. Because uh, you know how your windshield gets, when the f- first rains and you've got dust there from the fields and you can't see out of it? I knew there was a car in front of me. I knew we were on a, 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 um, a narrow country road. And uh, a tractor or a combine had just come out of the fields and was bright lights were shining in my eyes, you know, 10 feet above the ground. And I knew somewhere up there I could see something flashing. Oh, we're in Amish country. There's a buggy up there with maybe a family in it, a horse-drawn buggy. And this is a a recipe for disaster. Go slow. Go really slow. Can't see out because of the fog and the windows. And just, and seriously, we, we all got together at the same time. The buggy, us, a car in front of us, a car coming, and this tractor, I mean, a combine on, on a little country road at dark. You can imagine, there's like some confusion there. The buggy's trying to turn left in front of the combine. And so I'm thinking, man, this is going to be an interesting drive home. Where am I going to go? How am I going to know where to go, particularly with those lights? That... Well, the taillights of the car in front of me, I thought, if I can follow the taillights, those two lights right there, I'll get where I need to go. And as long as I don't see it drop off the road, then I'll just keep following that. We'll get our way home. Would appear the same as our, is true in our understanding of when trouble and tragedy and suffering comes in our lives. We can't make out all the details. I know that. And they're obscured from our our view, and it's like the light of the chaos just shining in our eyes is so bright you can't see where to go. I want to tell you, friends, in the moments like that, there are some lights, some taillights, if you will, leading the way, going in front of us, some biblical truths. I want to bring you some points of light today to help you make your way, drive your way through the chaos that seems to be coming at you. And the the points of where there's confusion, the points of danger, the buggy turning left right in front of you. How are you going to get there? Well, here's a couple of bib- some, some points of light from Scripture for moments like that. First of all, I want to say this right off the bat, that if you're in the room right now and you go, oh, and that's kind of your response to life, be aware of this. God is not the creator of evil and suffering worldwide cosmos-wide, and is certainly not the creator of your evil and suffering. See, some people will say, well, why, didn't, why doesn't just God, why didn't just, if he'd only made everything good and, and no evil and suffering? Well, that's what he did. Genesis chapter 1, the beginning of time, the beginning of creation, we understand that God looks around through everything he sees and he says, he takes a look at it all. He saw all that he had made and it was very good. It wasn't like only part of it was good and part of it was evil. No, it was all good. God is not the author of human tragedy or death. And if he's not, then where do they come from? Two places. Personal evil choices and natural evil. 
Let me explain it this way. God created us as human beings who have a capacity to love because love, we know, is the highest value in the universe. And when we were created as human beings, he wanted us to experience love. But to give us the ability to to love also means that we have to have the choice not to love, right? We are not machines. Real love always involves a choice. And people can choose to love or they can choose to be unloving. And if they take unloving far enough, they become unkind or they can even become downright, downright violent and evil. And they can be unkind and unloving from, say, meanness and ugliness in a relationship all the way through to where they are, have murderous intent and violent results. But we are not programmed to simply love because we should love, but we are given the choice to love. We are not machines. I mean, if we were programmed to say, I love you, then we'd be like this. We'd be like a little animal that if you hold it. Hug me, just hold it tight enough. And sh- now that's a proper hug. Oh, we go, oh, isn't that lovely? Didn't we love this? And we go, oh, that's lovely. But well, who are we kidding? Is this, is this really loving me? It's just a machine, right? Basically with some soft plush stuff around it. We, we, you know, and we go, well, kids, they, they, they just like it. Oh, thank you. You love me. No, well, not really. Like, can I, can, Tim, can I borrow your, your cell phone? As, as adults, we would, we would never do that, right? We would never expect a doll to love us, but we do things like this. Siri, do you love me? I'm not capable of love. Siri, I love you. Oh, I bet you say that to all your Apple products. (laughs) I really love you. Impossible. Why? An excellent question. Ah, see, so, I, we, I mean, and, and we find it funny, but we, we acknowledge that that's a computer talking to me, right? And we don't want to be in a relationship where the person who is loving us is simply doing it out of, out of an automatic response. We want them to choose to love us. But by having the ability to choose to love, we also have the ability to choose to not love. And when we choose not to love, There are consequences. And we can choose to not love to the degree that it becomes sinful, in fact. And an unwillingness to love and care is what Scripture would define as a moral evil. It is indeed sin. And the people of ISIS who are killing Christians are unloving. It's not, I mean, the one thing is the killing, but what is driving that killing is evil intent on their part, to choose not to love a fellow human being. That's moral evil evil. But there's another version of evil, namely natural evil, that includes things like wildfires and earthquakes and tsunamis, tornadoes, disease, hurricanes that cause suffering. Where did those come from? That's, nobody's put those in play. I mean, it's not like I choose to be unloving and as a result, a hurricane hits Florida. No. Instead, they are the indirect result of sin being allowed into our world. 
chapter 3 of Genesis makes it clear that the curse on creation happened as a result of sin against the Creator. The Bible says that sin caused corruption in nature, bringing thorns and thistles, if you will. That's the language it used. As one author explained, when God told humans to shove off, when humans told God to shove off, pardon me, Can I try that again? Sometimes after four services, I get it wrong, okay? When humans told God to shove off, he partially honored our request. Nature began to revolt. The earth was cursed. Genetic genetic breakdown and disease began. Pain and death became part of the human experience. That's what brought disasters. It wasn't supposed to be this way. I know it's how we've lived our existence in the way in which all of humanity has lived, but it is not the way in which God designed it. When humanity chose to be unloving and chose to sin, that unloveliness was brought into the cosmos. Romans says that the whole cosmos is in groaning, waiting for a day of redemption. So suffering comes as a result of sin, both our personal sin and corporate sin. But here's another point of light in this, that though suffering is not good, God can use it to accomplish good. He does this by fulfilling also what we find in Romans, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Notice it doesn't say that God says that evil and suffering, uh, Scripture doesn't say that evil and suffering came from God, just that he promises to bring good from it. And you might say, Oh, okay, Wayne, but you don't know my life. You don't know my circumstances. You don't know the depth of my suffering. There's no way God can bring any good out of this. Well, in moments like that, and you probably have them, be mindful of this, that God took the very worst thing that could have ever happened in the course of the history of the universe, deicide. Do you know what deicide? Deicide is the death of God. God took deicide, namely the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, the very worst thing, God dying on the cross. He took the worst thing that could ever happen in history and turned it into the very best thing in history, namely the opening up of heaven to all who will follow him. And if God can take the very worst circumstance imaginable and turn it into the very best situation possible, he can take the negative circumstances of your life and create something good from them. God can use, for example, our suffering to draw draw us to him, self to mold and sharpen our character, to influence others for him. He can draw something good from our pain. And I want to promise you, you know, for many in the room, we've done a lot of life together for some more than 20 years. Others, maybe you're new to the church. But I can look across this room and I know countless stories of places where there's some pretty rough stuff. I know. You've been in my office. I've been in your house. We've stood here and prayed. We've had conversations. You've called. I know the places where there's pain and hurt. I get it. Absolutely. But I want you to be assured of this. God can and will take those moments of great disappointment, those moments of chronic pain, and he'll bring something good out of it. The why is important. Why is it happening is really important. But can I help you get past the why? A friend of mine recently, was, I was talking with her about this, and she said, in the midst of struggles in the past, I had to learn to not get stuck in the why. It was, it was fair to ask the why questions, but I had to also look for a new perspective. And I had to find ways in which I could move through past the why and say, God, what are you doing in the middle of this? Because here's another point of light, that a day is coming 
when suffering will cease, and God will judge evil. I mean, you'd say, well, if God has the power to eradicate evil and suffering, then why doesn't he just go ahead and do it? It's never been done, you say. Well, just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean he won't ever do it. It's like reading a novel, if this were a novel, and you got halfway through it, and trust me, his day gets way worse than what I read to you. Okay, and, and you go, halfway through you go, ah, I'm putting this down, I'm done with it. It's, you, your friend had come to you and say, you know, you can't complain about the characters not being fully developed or the plot going in the way you wanted it to go because you're only halfway through the book. Friends, hear this. The story of your life is not finished being written yet. There are some more pages yet to turn. There are some more loose ends that God is going to tie up. God will hold all people accountable for the evil that has been visited upon you. And there is a day coming when sickness and pain will be eradicated. It's just not here yet. Peter tells it this way. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. And some of you got, man, I, you can't believe how slowly I've come through this struggle. It's taken me 27 years and I'm still not through it. I get that. I, I, I say I get it. I think I get it. But don't measure time like God. I mean, don't expect God to measure time like you do. God's outside time and space. Time is a creation, part of the creation. Instead of God being slow, no, instead he is being patient. He's patient with you, with your friends, not wanting anyone to perish so that everyone will come to repentance. We have compelling evidence of a God that will care so much for you and love you so much that he's giving you to have a little more time to come to him in a more full way. Because another point of light is this, that our suffering will pale in comparison to what God, what God has in store for his followers. I, I'm not trying to minimize the pain or the struggle in any way. I live it with you. We walk it together. But it always helps to take a long-term perspective. I look at what the Apostle Paul wrote about what he suffered. Paul was one of the, probably the primary characteristic character of the um, New Testament apart from Jesus. And he had a horrible life. He was what the pinnacle of society, became a follower of Jesus Christ, and became the dregs of culture. He suffered through beatings and stonings and shipwrecks, imprisonment, rejection, hunger and thirst and homelessness at, at degrees that we couldn't even begin to imagine. And yet these are his words. He goes, for our light and momentary troubles. And I want to go, what do you mean light and momentary troubles, Paul? I mean, five times Paul was given 39 lashes. Five times 39 is 195. 195 times they took whips and went across his backs. Three times the scriptures tell us that his body was beaten to a pulp by rods. And he goes, our light and momentary troubles? Are you kidding me? No, he goes, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. That's what God has in store for you. You're just not there yet. It's just not finished yet. Maybe think of it this way. Say the beginning of 2015, January 2nd, you went, you plan to get up, you're going to go back to work and as you get up, you feel this dull ache here, right in the, you know, uh, uh, one of your back molars and you go, man, that's really hurting and within a couple hours, I mean, it is killing you and so you go to the dentist and the dentist says, oh, I can fix that. I can pull it, or a better thing would be to give you a root canal, uh, but I've got one problem, we have no painkillers, but we're going to do it anyways. That's a lousy day. <laughs> that's a day to write this book. Trust me. 
And so you get the root canal, and as you're leaving the uh, dentist's office, you're in such pain that you're making mistakes as you drive, and you have a horrible accident. And the police officer comes and looks to, asks to see your, um, your insurance card, and you reach in the glove box, and you reach there, and you go, oh, for crying out loud, it ran out December 31, midnight. And you go, this is a really bad, horrible, no good day. And then, as you are um, being fined all kinds of things for the accident, and you realize you're going to pay for the trouble and for fixing your car, you get a call from your wife. She's quite sick. And she says, oh, by the way, you need to know our, um, we have a problem with the, with the stock portfolio. The, the uh, uh, stock market has taken a dive, and we have no money. You can write a book. Wayne. And the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, or whatever your name is, okay? But then what if the rest of the year turned out to be significantly different? Your relationship with God became close and real and intimate. A friend wins the lottery and gives you $100 million. You get promoted to your dream job. Your marriage is idyllic. And your boss says to you, oh, by the way, we need you to go from October through December of next, of the, at the end of the year. We're going to go send you to Tahiti to work on the beach. And come January, yeah, Tim's going, bring it on. I'm your boss. You're saying bring it on, right? Yeah. No, Tim, it's not going to happen. Uh, think, think of what it would be like if the, your friend comes to you on January 2nd of 2016 and says, tell me about your year. And you go, oh man, it's been great. I got all this money. I got a great job. My wife is healthy. We just had a baby. And you know, you could go on and on and on. And the friend says, yeah, but what about the day when you had that root canal? Everything was bad. Oh, that was just one day. We've got to be people who get the long-term perspective of eternity. Because there's a day coming when a follower of Jesus Christ is going to have been in heaven for 654 million days. And on day 640 million, somebody's going to come to you and say, how's your existence been? And you say, well, I should tell you about the last 640 million days. And on the next 640, and they say, well, wasn't there a 27-year period back on earth when it was really lousy? Yeah, but the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises or some in slow. I've got to be a person who says, okay, it's ugly right now, yeah, but I'm going to live beyond that. Here's what heaven's going to be like. God's, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, God's dwelling is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. Revelation chapter 21. It says this, guys, could you throw it up on the screen? They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He's going to wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Yeah, Scripture acknowledges there is death and there is mourning and crying and pain for those 27 years or for the 97 years that you might live. Fair enough. But on day 640 million in heaven, what's going to be the most important? How's it going to be? The Apostle Paul says, No eye has seen no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. You can't even begin to imagine. If you're going to be a person of faith, even with questions, believe there, land there. I'm aware that one of the dynamics of this message is that you still have questions. I do too. Life, is not, life here is not like what it's going to be in heaven. I get that. But as a person of faith, I say, I'm going to, I'm going to wait. I'm not going to be like everybody else, just rushing. Instead, I'm going to acknowledge there are some complexities of life and death and struggle that go beyond our language. 
We don't even have words for them. They go beyond our intellect's ability to, to describe them, let alone our ability to mitigate them. I get that. But in those moments, remember this last point of light, that you are not alone. God's peace and courage goes with you. See, we need peace to deal with our present and courage for the future. And through Jesus' own suffering and death, we realize that he deprived the world and this life of its ultimate power over us. You may die. And still, God's power wins over that. See, Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I make my bed in the depths, are you there? Yeah. If I have to move to Australia, your right hand will be there. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. Friends, get God's long-term perspective on all of this because we all need those taillights to get us through the fog. And you know who's providing the greatest light for us? Jesus Christ himself. See, Christian philosopher, I've asked the guys to put this on the screen for you in its totality because it would be helpful for you to, to read the whole thing. He says that God, uh, he explains it this way, God's ultimate answer to suffering isn't an explanation. I've given you lots of words today. Fair enough. But God's answer to suffering isn't just a verbal explanation. It's the incarnation. The incarnation is a theological word that means that God in heaven in the form of Jesus Christ came and actually lived as a human being. And so for us to say, God, you don't understand what I'm going through is absurd. If we say the incarnation took place, that God in the flesh came and lived in a human body, then God just doesn't give us words, but he gives us Jesus. Suffering isn't a personal, is a personal problem. And it demands a personal response. It doesn't mean just words, but we need somebody who's going to walk with us and live it out with us. And God isn't some distant, detached, and disinterested deity. No bit, Midler said in that famous, God is watching us from a distance. Lovely song, terrible theology. Seriously. God is not watching us from a distance. He entered into our world and personally experienced our pain. Jesus is there in the lowest places of our lives. Are you broken? He was broken, like bread for us. Are you despised? He was a man of sorrows. Pardon me, he was despised and rejected of men. Do you cry out that you can't take it anymore? He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Did someone betray you? He was, he was sold out. Are your most tender relationships broken? He was loved and rejected. Do people turn away from you? They, hide their, they hid their faces from him as if he were a leper. Does he descend into all our hells? Yes, he does, no matter how deep our darkness. He is deeper still. Why is that? Because God came in the form of a human being, and every tear you shed is his tear. And every suffering that you have, every chronic pain you have, is his suffering and his pain. It's his sorrow as well. Not just an explanation, but living with us. I think that's why... Um, that is the reason why, as we were thinking through the context of this worship service, I said to the team, we've got to end the message with communion, with the Lord's table, because for us to understand that Jesus came and died for us, is, it helps us understand where our suffering, that he, we're not doing it by ourselves. So if you're serving communion, if you'd go and prepare for that right now, it'd be helpful. And 
I would remind all of us that it's not God in the distance, but it's God walking among us as a human being, Jesus. You can't say to God, you don't understand what it's like to be human. Oh, no, I do. Jesus came. And I know what it feels like, God would say, when people don't treat you right. When there's a chronic pain, when there's an unbelievably tough pain in your hip or your side. Here's what scripture tells us. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, in other words, on the night when somebody did him in and sold him out, he's got his disciples around him, a group of followers, and he took bread and he broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. You may feel like your body's broken. Jesus has been there. He says, eat in remembrance of me. And then you may feel like the evil, that's not, it's not a physical evil, but the evil that people have done to you, well, the evil that you see in the world is overwhelming. Do you know there's forgiveness for that and there's a covering for that? Because after supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. I'm going to provide you with forgiveness. He says, drink it in remembrance of me. Today, as we eat and as we drink, we remember the Lord's death until he comes. We remember that Jesus walks with us in our suffering and we're not alone. We have courage for today, courage for tomorrow. Would you pray with me, please? Lord God in heaven, hear our prayers right now. And I'm aware, Lord, there are people in this room here today who have um, some significant issues. Not all of us, God, but all of us at some point in our lives have experienced things that are just crummy. And sometimes they go from crummy, Lord, to cruddy and from cruddy to absolutely evil. There's some God here today who've had chronic pain for years upon years and they're just tired. They're tired of it. They're tired of one medical answer after another that doesn't seem to provide any relief. There are God here some today who have heartache of soul. A relationship that went sour 32 years still has an impact. And the wounds of grief over that are, I mean, they've scarred over, but those scars are deep. There are people here, Lord, who grieve over the loss of a friend or family member or spouse. And they just wonder why. (laughs) And God, there are some who say, well, given what's scheduled for Wednesday, it's going to be a very bad, horrible, terrible, ugly day, like Alexander's in the book. For all of those moments, God, we thank you that Jesus Christ came. He died for us. Oh, Lord, help us to have peace for this moment and courage for tomorrow through the death of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.